a, um, he's not a follower of Jesus, as we'll read, but he's also not antagonistic. Uh, he's, it's, it seems that he's genuinely inquiring about a very important question. And the question that he asked Jesus, the, the answer that he wants to know is, what is the greatest command? You know, there, there's lots of commands in the Old Testament, and what he wants to know is which one is the greatest. And, and here is the dilemma that, that you're facing right now, and, and you probably don't even know it, because uh, you, like you know, so many other people who might be familiar with this passage, this is a pretty popular passage of Scripture. Even even if you're not that you know familiar with the church or familiar with the Bible, um, you know, and we're tempted to just kind of kind of think about it and look at it and say, yeah, I know this passage. I know we're supposed to love God and, and love others. You know, everybody you know would probably tend to agree with that. Most people, um, you know, we wouldn't say it out loud. Um, that, that, you know, we don't need this, we've heard it before, but that's probably kind of how we're thinking. That, 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 that may be the attitude and the posture of our heart, um, and I know that that's a temptation because that, that was the posture and the attitude of my heart this week as I was reading this passage. I was like, this is a simple passage. You know, this is easy to understand. Love God, love your neighbor. Uh, you know, we need something more deep. You know, we need something more in the weeds. But um, it's kind of like um, when, I, when I lived in Lexington, I lived at Royal Lexington Apartments, and there was a, there was a train right behind where I lived. And, and I remember when I moved in, you know, everybody was like, oh, man, you're going to hate that train going by you, you know, all the time. Um, but, you know, what I found out was within a couple of months living in that apartment up there, I got so familiar with the train sound that it just became, uh, it just went unnoticed. You know, I just never even, I, I remember feeling like I didn't even live near a train because I got so familiar with it. In this passage that we're about to look at, it's like a powerful locomotive, uh, but we've heard it so many times um, that we're tempted to just kind of disregard it. Uh, we're tempted to just not give it our full attention, and I don't want that to happen to us this morning, so I, I just want to issue a warning on the front end. Uh, let, let, let's not let that happen. Let's give this passage our full attention. So let's go ahead and read it. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Let's pray. Uh, God, we just pray this morning that you would sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think this passage gives us four indispensable lessons on love. All right, we're going to see four lessons on love. The first lesson is this. 
Love the Lord with undivided devotion. First lesson is love the Lord with undivided devotion. We are commanded to love the Lord uh, with undivided devotion in the scripture. So this episode begins with an unnamed scribe approaching Jesus to ask him a theological question. The scribe has been observing Jesus' debate with the Sadducees regarding the resurrection. Tyler preached on that last week, and I think it's safe to say that what we established was that the Sadducees had a very poor understanding of the afterlife. So the scribe, he hears the debate, uh, he hears uh, Jesus correct them, and now he wants to ask Jesus um, an important um, question. Uh, now, a scribe was a professional theologian uh, of that day. Scribes spent their entire lives studying, uh, categorizing, and debating the Mosaic Law. They had determined that there were 613 laws in the Old Testament. Uh, 365 of those commandments were thou shalt nots. Right, um, 248 were positives, the, the, the thou shalts. Uh, what scribes would often do is they would divide these different laws into different categories. So the heavier laws were more important. Uh, they were the ones that you should definitely make sure that you follow. Now, they would say all of them are important, but they would say that the heavier ones were the ones that you should definitely follow. So this scribe, he wants Jesus to weigh in on this debate. He appreciates Jesus' rebuke of the Sadducees. So now he asks Jesus out of all the hundreds all the hundreds of the rules and the regulations, which one is the most important? And um, it made me think of this story I read one time. There was this elementary school teacher a few years ago. Her house caught on fire. Uh, and, and they were talking about it because she was telling her students uh, what took place. So she pulls up and her house is on fire. Flames, I mean, it's going down. Nobody's in the house. Uh, the, the firefighters are already there. They're telling her, don't go in, don't go in. Uh, but she still runs in. She runs past them. And, and there was one thing she wanted. And the one thing that she ended up wanting and getting was her season tickets to the Philadelphia Phillies, uh, MLB baseball team. And uh, the, the, the Phillies had to put out a statement. They said, look, if your house is on fire um, and you got season tickets with us, let them burn. We'll reprint you new season tickets. Um, but what she determined was that in her house, the most important thing was those season tickets, that they were the most important thing for her. And that's similar to what Jesus is being asked here. He's saying, if your house is on fire, you know, what's the one thing that you would grab? What's the most important thing to you? Uh, the, the scribe is asking, verse 29, if you had to pick the most important command out there, which one uh, would Jesus pick? And Jesus answered the scribe by quoting a Bible verse, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's in the Old Testament, verses Four through five, this is known as the Shema. Uh, Shema is a Hebrew word. It means uh, to listen or to hear. Uh, but it's more than just listening. It's more than just allowing sound waves to reverberate on your eardrums. The, the, the word Shema means to hear, but it also means to really focus in on what is being said and meditating on the thing that's being said. So Shema is the very first word in Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. So like, listen Israel. Shema, <clears throat> Israel. So the Shema became a very important prayer to the Jews in their day. And, and in fact, many Jews still recite it today, every day, twice a day. Uh, they'll start out in the morning, uh, say it once, and then in the evening they'll say it once. So when the Shema 
Israel is reminded that the Lord, that Yahweh, is their covenant God. Now, we, we need to put our thinking caps on for a moment. Uh, we don't want to be too familiar with this passage that it just washes over us. What does that mean? The Lord is one. What does that mean? Uh, obviously, uh, it means that there is one true God. This is a text that is definitely affirming what we believe about monotheism, that we believe in one true God. Uh, but I think it means more than that. Uh, look, look what it says, verse 29. Um, but, but look what it doesn't say. It doesn't say there is one Lord. Um, it says the Lord is one. And, and this is the point um, where we ask why, because it kind of seems unusual. <clears throat> and I think the reason that it's worded this way is because the Shema reminds us of God's complete and total integrity. It, it reminds us of, of his wholeness, that God is one, that God, he does not change. Uh, he's not divided. He's not conflicted. He doesn't have internal struggles like we have internal struggles. He's consistent. Right? Our motives, our desires, our, our actions, they don't always operate in accord with one another. We have you know, intentions to get up early, uh, read our Bible, exercise, uh, start the day a certain way, and then what happens? I know for me, you know, I hit the snooze button a lot. Or, or, or we're in our Bibles, you know, we want to read, want to be alone with the Lord, and then we get distracted with other things. We desire to do what is good, uh, but we don't always carry it out. We will make a promise, uh, but we don't always keep it. But the good news, the good news is, is that with God, that's not the case, right? He is entirely consistent. There is no internal struggle with him. He is good, and he always does what is good. He is faithful, and he's always faithful to keep his promises. The Lord is one. And after calling God's unity, the Shema uses a command. Notice Jesus uses the word all four different times uh, in verse 30. He repeats that word all. Maybe verse 29. Maybe verse 29. <clears throat> he repeats that word all. He says, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. All your strength. This is to emphasize the totality of giving the Lord every last drop of your devotion. Every last drop of your allegiance, uh, of your worship. We are commanded to love our great Lord without hesitation, without reservation, uh, without interruption. And the use of these terms, heart, soul, mind, and strength, is intended to encompass the entire person. We cannot compartmentalize our love for God. So your heart refers to the core of your will and the core of, of your affections. And your soul refers to the source of, of your desires and your spiritual capacities. And your mind refers to the center of your thinking and your understanding. And your strength refers, just think about all of your might, all of your power, all of your energy. So in this command, you are told to, to love God with all of your will, with all of your desires, with all of your thoughts, and with all of your activities. God's nature is undivided. And his love for us is also undivided. So our love for him should be undivided as well. William Hendrickson writes that God's wholehearted love must not be answered in a half-hearted manner. 
Now, before we move forward, it's important that we pause and just ask the following question. How does one do this? How do we love God in this way? How do you find the resources to love God uh, with an undivided devotion? It's one thing to know that this is the greatest command, but it's another thing to, to keep this great command. So how do we do it? And the answer is found not in focusing on the command itself, and it is certainly not found in focusing on ourselves, uh, but on fixing our, our attention on the immeasurable love of God through Jesus. Here's a text for you to help, you know, warm your affections for God when your affections have, have grown cold for him. Here's a text, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, for the love of Christ. So that's the love that Christ has for us. For the love of Christ compels us. Paul, is, the Apostle Paul wrote this. He's saying that the love uh, that Christ has for him, it motivates him. It's what gets him up in the morning. It's what wakes him up. It's what helps him uh, do the things that God has uh, called him to do. The love of Christ compels us. It, it should compel us. Uh, he died for you uh, so that those who live uh, should not live for themselves, but now that they would live for the one who died for them and was raised. It's fascinating that there are, you know, relatively few uh, references in the New Testament about us loving God uh, because the New Testament seems to be occupied or preoccupied with God's amazing love for us, for helpless and hopeless sinners like us. The Bible actually reminds us how much God loves us more than it does about our requirement to love him. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says this, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So that's good news, right? Even when you are not very loving, uh, God still loves you. If you are a uh, hundred times more selfish than you are right now, your sin um, is still no match for the love of God. His love swallows up your sin. That's what his love does, uh, and it is um, this reality of his great love for us that compels us to love him back. It is the love of Christ, right, evidenced by his sacrifice on the cross that motivates us to no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and was raised on our behalf. Second lesson, we are to love God with undivided devotion and we are to love others with sacrificial concern. Looking at verse 31. So after answering the scribes uh, question, Jesus throws in another command kind of free of charge. Uh, and if you turn to Luke 11, he defines neighbor. He, he expands it to include everyone that you come in contact with. So you're not just loving the people that you really get along with, that you got a lot in common with. Uh, you're, you're to love everybody, right? Um, and, and this command is not advocating self-love because he says, love your neighbor as yourself. It's not commanding self-love. <clears throat> it is actually assuming self-love. Uh, Jesus is not telling us to love ourselves because we are experts at that, right? Nobody loves ourselves more, more than us. We, most of the time, we love ourselves too much, uh, which is why we need these two commands. We love ourselves with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. And, uh, and we eagerly desire for everyone else to love us too. I, I think you would agree. Uh, so what this command is telling us to do is what, whatever we are willing to do for ourselves, uh, we should be willing to do for others. 
right? We ought to be as concerned for that, for the well-being of our neighbors as we are um, our own. In the same way we like to have, you know, full bellies, in the same way we like to have our needs met, in the same way we like to, you know, have relief from suffering, uh, to receive a kind word, uh, to, to have somebody pray for us. We are to do these things for others. Jesus summarized this a little bit differently in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. He said, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. For this is the law and prophets. This is the summation of the law. And I, I need you to think for a minute. In order for you to alleviate someone else's, someone else's burden, what do you have to do? You have to take the burden on yourself. If you are unwilling to part with your time or your resources or your energy, then guess what? You'll never actually really love your neighbor. You, you aren't a good neighbor if you only help when it's convenient for you. Love means to intentionally inconvenience yourself to benefit someone else. You're taking on their burden to, in order to provide them with some relief. So love, properly defined, means you actually disadvantage yourself in order to advantage others. I almost hesitated to make this second lesson separate from the first because we cannot divorce these two commands from one another. This is why Jesus gives him a two for one because they really do belong together. It's impossible to love God without also loving your neighbor. And loving your neighbor is a tangible expression for your love for God. First John 4 says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. First John goes on to say, if anyone loves God but hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. Why? Because the person who does not love his brother or his sister whom he has seen cannot love whom he has not seen. And I think about, uh, we got this dog now, Samson. It's changed our life. Uh, it's, a, it's a golden doodle. I mean, our whole, whole house has been turned upside down. And I'll, I'll just be honest, I have not enjoyed um, the, the, the experience of having this dog. Um, but, you know, what, what kind of makes me love this dog is Josiah's love for the dog. So uh, the dog is special to Josiah, so I love Josiah. So it, it does kind of make me love the dog because Josiah loves the dog. And our neighbors are special to God. So that's another reason why we should love our neighbors because our neighbors are special to God because every single human being is made in his image and is worthy uh, of respect and dignity. One of the reasons that caused Christianity to spread so rapidly in the first century um, is because the early church was passionately devoted to loving people that were not like them. And this is what the Roman emperor Julian said. And Julian uh, was an enemy of Christianity. He was no friend to Christianity. And this is what he said about Christianity in the first century. He said, let us consider that nothing has contributed to the, to the progress of the superstition of Christians as their charity. He said, as their love to strangers. He said, he said, not only do they provide for their own poor, but they also provide for ours. So love everyone with a 
uh, sacrificial concern. Third point, love is supreme. Having heard Jesus' answer, the scribe agrees with him. If you look at verse 32, he says, you are right, teacher. He agrees with him theologically, but he goes beyond that. He includes something that causes Jesus to actually commend the scribe. Now remember, Jesus is in the habit of dismantling their religious leaders, but in this particular story, he commends the man for his answers. So we want to pay attention, looking at verse 33 here, loving the Lord with undivided devotion, uh, loving your neighbor with sacrificial concern is more important than what the scribe says, all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And this scribe's statement uh, is particularly bold because think about where he issued it. He is standing on the temple ground and in front of all of the temple officials. Now, this scribe's answer is is actually reflected in many Old Testament passages. It's not like he created it. It just sounds like a guy who's studied his Bible. um, For example, Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, and this is the Lord speaking to the people. He says, I desire faithful love and not sacrifice. He says, I desire the knowledge of God. And that's not like facts about God. That's, That's like a personal knowledge, like a relationship. He says, I desire the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Or think about David's psalm of repentance in Psalm 51. After David committed adultery and after David killed a man, he says, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. So so the point is, throughout the Old Testament, we read that to obey is better than a sacrifice. Loving God through acts of obedience is better than any sacrifice that we could provide. Sometimes we think we can hide our disobedience behind religious acts, but God will not let us do that. There was a a lady, Elizabeth Elliot, uh, wife of Jim Elliot. You can look her up. Um, she's just a very faithful woman. Uh, she had a brother named Thomas. He was playing in, in, in their house when they were kids with toys. Uh, he left the toys out. He didn't clean up his mess. Um, and, and he went in the other room and started playing on their piano. And Elizabeth said her mom was like, Thomas, you need to come in here and clean up these toys. And uh, he, said, he said, I can't, Mom. I'm busy singing hymns and praises to God, playing the piano. And uh, she said that her father responded that there's no use in singing Jesus' praises uh, when you're being disobedient. You know, so to obey is better than sacrifice. Love is more important than all the burnt offerings. So we can't think that religious rituals will serve as a substitute for devotion to God and love for neighbors. And I just want to make a quick qualification here. That doesn't mean that religious rituals are unimportant uh, because we should participate in worship. Uh, We should... um, support the the needs of the church. Uh, We should serve our fellow members uh, with our time and energy, but love must be the motivation, right? We're we're not doing it to try to earn God. Uh, We're doing it based on our love for God and ultimately his love for us because love is supreme. Fourth lesson and final lesson, knowing the command to love is not the same as loving Christ. It's important, but knowing the command to love is not the same as loving Christ. Uh, Verse 34 says, And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. 
And I've always kind of read this verse and, and been discouraged by it, uh, but I, I don't think I do anymore. I can't really put my finger on it, but I think I'm just becoming more optimistic in the power um, of the gospel to just save um, self-righteous people like myself, um, save sinners like me. I, I think that's what's happening. Uh, I hope that is what is happening. But admittedly, you know, it is kind of, a, it is discouraging in one sense because this man, it says, is not in the kingdom of God. Um, he has not received salvation. We, you know, we hope for this to happen, but Jesus also informs us that he is not far from the kingdom of God. Uh, he may not be in, but he is close. And so the two questions I think that we need to answer uh, before we wrap this up is, number one, why is this man near and not far? And number two, why is he near and not in? And the reason that he is near and not far is because we have established that he's not antagonistic to Jesus. He's not hostile towards Jesus. Uh, he is genuinely inquiring about him. He is asking the right questions. And he understands what the Bible actually says about love and obedience from people. And so this puts him close to the kingdom of God. Uh, but why is he near and not in? And, and it's because knowing certain biblical truths is not the same thing as knowing Jesus. Having the correct answers for Bible trivia is not the same as having and possessing uh, a faith in Jesus. The only way that you can actually enter into the kingdom of God is to realize that you can't enter it on your own. You have to admit that you are weak and that you are helpless. You must turn to Christ and treasure him above all things. One commentator said, venerating the teaching of Jesus does not make one a follower of Jesus. This scribe, he had a head full of truth, but his heart uh, was empty of faith. Agreeing with Jesus is an excellent place to start, though. That's a really good place, but, but it can't be where you finish. And it makes me think of John Wesley. Uh, if anybody is familiar with John Wesley, he was a preacher, he was evangelist, he was a theologian in London in the 1700s. Uh, they said that he traveled so many miles uh, throughout his ministry that if you added them all up, he would have circled the earth ten times. And what John Wesley did in the beginning of his ministry is he left London and he came to Georgia uh, when it was just a colony before you know, the United States even existed. And he ministered to these Native Americans. And he was real pumped up. He was real hype about it. You know, he, he's going to go serve the Lord and, and share the gospel with these Native Americans. He thought that he was going to be received well and all these people would come to faith. Uh, but when he got over there, it all went bad. He was just very unsuccessful. They, they didn't really see a lot of fruit and uh, he, he's quoted as saying and it was actually in Georgia when he realized that he had never trusted in Jesus he, he, he realized you know I'm, I'm just doing all this stuff I know all this stuff about God but I don't really love God and he's, he's famously quoted as saying I went to America to convert the Indians but who shall convert me and uh, that, that, that always kind of left a mark on me. So he left and he crossed back over to London and, and you know, he, he kind of, you know, um, looks himself in the mirror. And, and honestly, his heart fell on this passage that we're reading this morning. And he realized that, you know, he was close to the kingdom of God, but he wasn't really in. He wasn't really trusting in Jesus. 
So, you know, my, my thing is, is there may be someone on the live stream or they may, there may be someone here right now who's like John Wesley. You know, maybe, maybe you know, you've been going to church your whole life or you've been praying or you've been baptized uh, and you're looking at those things um, as, as evidence that you belong in the kingdom. And they are all good things, that they're, they're good things, but they alone don't put you in the kingdom of God. They will never put you in the kingdom of God because only Jesus can do that. Jesus is the only one who has perfectly kept all these commands that we're talking about today. During his life, he loved God perfectly. He loved his neighbors perfectly. Um, and he demonstrated that by dying on the cross to rescue us from his wrath, to rescue us from sin, to rescue us from death. Jesus is the neighbor that we need. But the only way that you can get him is through faith in him. So God, God is saying right now uh, to us all to turn from our self-reliance uh, and to trust in him and to be in the kingdom. So let's let the love of Christ compel us to do just that. Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, that we're reminded uh, so much in the scripture that your love uh, is amazing and that it was you who first loved us. It wasn't the other way around, that your love uh, has found us uh, wandering and rebelling and in our sin. Uh, and, and that's exactly when your love shows up. Uh, so we thank you uh, for the love of God through the cross of Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that that would compel us this morning uh, to turn to you. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me as we respond.